Hello and welcome to Psychotherapy with Jet Dunlap. This is episode 14. In this episode, I'm kind of going into just what I normally do, which is what I'm looking at right now. And I have been falling victim to a human impulse of comparison. Looking at some of the friends I have who are just super wealthy and seeing the things they're doing through the magical eyes of Facebook and saying, wow, look at them. They get to take their significant other here. They get to do this. They get to fly all over the world. Am I less than? Does that make me less of a good husband, a person? And examining that and finding that, well, I don't want to spoil it for you. What did I find? Here it comes in episode 14. I'm Jet Dunlap, and thank you so much for listening. Money doesn't make you happier. That was told to me by a one of the many mentors I've had in my life, but uh, actually probably not one, more than one. The one I remember the most is my grandfather. I told you before that when I was living with my parents, my mom and my dad, did I just explain to you what parents are? Well, I guess, you know, today. That didn't go without saying that my parents were both uh, male and female. No, they're not both male and female. One is female, one is male. And <laughs> the male one's my dad. To further explain this, and the female one is my mom. I don't have any sound effects, so that's going to reverberate for a little while. I had to do that on the table. My dad, I told you a little bit of backstory. He was raised by my grandmother solely. Um, she was a Mexican immigrant, and she had my father in the late 50s. And my dad was brought up completely by her, so she didn't have any money. His father, Richard, he was very wealthy. Uh, my dad never saw the fruits of that because my dad's mother was kind of the secret family. Now, I say kind of just to be polite. From what I understand, that is the case. The real family of my... Not real, that's really mean. The family of my grandfather that my grandfather lived with that also had children, my dad's father, did not or barely knew about my father. So my dad, he had a very interesting philosophy on money being that he was raised by someone who really needed to earn it. This immigrant lady, when immigration was not something that in the world of today is kind of polarizing, where it's like half, it's not half the country. I mean, a very small percent of the country thinks they're all horrible people and blames them for everything. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And then the other the country that knows what's going on, and these irrational people understand that not all the problems in the world are created by immigrants, and that if you look about two generations that are family, in a lot of cases even one, some of them even immigrants themselves, you find out that, oh, wait a second, almost everyone here is an immigrant. A little history for you in case you didn't know. I'm from Southern California. But my dad's mom struggled. The reason I mention that is because she was not celebrated for her broken English and uh, non resident status. So it was a little tough for her being a single mom in the 50s, 60s, 70s. In any event, my dad grew up in that family and obviously money was an issue, but if they did have money, it was very hard earned. His mother worked more than one job. This seems to be a very typical story for single mothers. So when I grew up, my dad having me slightly after his teenage years, so much so that I, the first place I ever lived when I was a kid was my mom's parents' house, my grandfather, the one who just passed. His name is Pow. For those of you frequent listeners, original name was Charles. I named him Pal. That's what he went by. So I lived at my grandparents' backyard, not their backyard, their little back house when I was a kid. Anyway, my parents didn't have money. So when I grew up, I had this theory, I had this philosophy ingrained in me that people who had money were kind of like people who, you know, the genetics of something that's just 
to your family, whether you're tall or not. It's just something we were born with or uh, you're not born with. So my dad, in the classic example I've used before, he would say something to the extent of, well, not to the extent of, my dad said when we saw an exotic vehicle, that is not for us. That is for them. Those are the people who can have those things, right? Like a tribe, like those people uh, being rich people, they have those things and we don't and we won't. It's a philosophy I fought in my adulthood in the sense that because they got to go to the certain schools, because their family connections, this is more evident in Los Angeles and probably New York. I'm from LA, so I can speak to that than just about anywhere. And the fact that the people I know who come from families that are involved in the entertainment industry or have money, them and their friends seem to just share each other's money for life. And the kids who are just dumber and dirt who have this family connection end up being very wealthy or in movies. And the people who have real talent and work hard, they really do end up being poor and living in an apartment in some neighborhood they can't afford because they're still trying to break into an industry that is completely occupied by nepotism. So why can money not bring you happiness? I was in an apartment, kind of in a good neighborhood, but a bad part of a good neighborhood in the valley. And our apartment had horrible cockroach problems. It had crime. Our stuff was stolen all the time. And this was for my wife and I. I mean, the cockroach thing, man, it was so brutal. Those German cockroaches, you just wake up every night. And I ended up eventually killing them with my hands because they were just so many of them. All your food, your coffee maker had cockroach in them. I'd pull cockroaches out of my coffee. This is gross stuff that, you know, if you don't have money, you just kind of have to deal with. And it wasn't like our rent was cheap. This is the valley, Los Angeles County. So it was like 1600 bucks a month. And we're still in this problem. And I was making okay money at the time, but eventually I had some medical issues and we were pressed up against so what I would tell to people like my grandfather who once said, oh, you know, people who have money, they don't have it all, their lives aren't perfect. Uh, my example was, yeah, that's true. And he used a comparable. He used a person who was in a similar situation to me, but had lots of money. And I said, age-wise, and I said, well, here's the difference. If a person who has lots of money has a problem as I do, let's say they're born with depression. They have all that depression and sadness in an air-conditioned house, a centrally air-conditioned house. They don't have to worry about their car not starting. They don't have to worry about where rent's coming from. They don't have to worry about cockroaches in their coffee. So even though we may have the neutral position of sadness, which, you know, I've said before, depression is something you perpetually wake up with, but just because we have that in common doesn't mean that their lives are the same as mine. Mine is going to be tougher, and someone who has less than I do is going to be tougher than that. That's just a fact, in my opinion. But the point of this is not to complain about my lot in life, which is not what I'm trying to do. I'm just giving you examples of things that have happened in my life and where I really lived for 10 years. But what I was thinking about recently is I have a number of friends, two friends, as a matter of fact, who have over $500 million, million with a W. And uh, they are very interesting to me through the eyes of a 40-year-old guy who has a very different living situation now. One day I'll go completely into it. It's, you know, not like, you remember on status and Facebook, you could put it's complicated. It's not so much complicated as it is elaborate, which is also complicated. So I lied, it's complicated. But in my situation right now, I'm not worried about paying rent. I have a much better living situation. I'm just not going to go into the details right now. These friends of mine who have over $500 million to their name, two separate people, they don't know each other. One of them was a tech guy, another guy inherited it. I watch them on Facebook and I watch their relationships. I see them doing these extreme things, these unbelievable vacations, these surreal lifestyles. And at first I thought, oh my God, did that 
guy just buy a brand new 200,000 R car? Did that guy just go out and buy another house in the Hamptons? And you're like, my God, what must that be like? But then on a timeline, I've been friends with these people for years. I look at it and I'm like, wait a second. They're doing this like every week. Everywhere they go has to have a waterfall and a place for it look like they're living this unbelievable life. And I thought, my God, that's an addiction. And a guy who has an addiction and is every day working on living consciously of my addiction and treating it as such. You know, I talk about it like it's big wave riding. I know, I don't know how to big wave ride, but it's the same kind of respect. I look at my addiction and I go, this is what it is. I need to know how to deal with it. It's not going away. It's not like you can cure it, but I'm aware of it. And I look at these guys who have this kind of money. And this is extreme wealth, right? One of them is actually a billionaire uh, or right there, you know, 900 million. And they have this addiction to this style they think the people who are watching them need to see. But the point was, does this make them happy? I have mild interactions with both of these people because at that level, I don't know if it's that they just want to hang out with people who are yes men or yes women, or they want people who just appreciate their success. And that's what they're so used to that that is a part of the addiction. It's just what they want to be around. You know, I don't interact with them much, but it's always this kind of look at me, approval, aren't I great kind of world. And I thought where I am now is I'm not poor. I'm definitely not rich, but I have this philosophy, which is my idea of wealth is how many months forward can you live if your income shut off today? And in that case, I'm actually pretty well off because I could live years if my income shut off. So that's good. That's where I want to be. I don't need to have a Ferrari, but to know that I'm not desperate for money, that's far better for a person like me, my psyche. I could go out and buy fancy things, but then I don't have that cushion anymore. So no thanks. I'd much rather be, I'd much rather have that peace of mind. So where I am is a very specific place. I live minimally, so I don't have to worry about the moment. But I look at these people and I just think they have to keep this spike going. And even if they spent a million dollars a year for the rest of their lives, they wouldn't be broke. They don't ever have to make money again. And that's if their money stopped making money, which it doesn't. And I think if I went to all these places that they go, and I got to, I mean, I wish I could show you, but it would be, it would be completely inappropriate for me to tell you who they are. But if you look at their faces, they're sad. They're trying to look like this is exciting to them. They're trying to look like this is fun. They're trying to look like this is some kind of form of entertainment for them. But listen, if you've seen all this and you're going to the same resorts that the rest of us dream of going to and, you know, may never go, it's a routine, right? It's like, no matter what, it's going to be something that you get bored of because life is experiential and life is, it's the happiest you're going to be is when you're working towards something. We have to accomplish things. We are these creatures that need to perpetually be striving towards something, you know, building. That's us. So if you have it all, what do you do? If you've beaten the game of earth in the sense of material wants, then you should probably be working on the internal or in reverse. You know, I'm working on it now and been working on it for 20, maybe 30 years. But what do you do then? And they're not happy. And I only get to see this and I'm sharing it with you because I see it through a specific lens of knowing these people. Not everyone gets to know people who are ultra wealthy. It just seems really boring to me. And for a person who has anxiety, and let's be honest, a lot of people who have anxiety, it's about when 
the money shuts off, right? If you have a family and kids, it's probably even worse. Not to say that a single person doesn't have the same fears, but but then you look at the people who have everything like I do. Yes, like I was saying at the beginning of this, they have no fear of the air conditioning being shut off. And I mentioned air conditioning because it's probably 102 degrees outside in the San Fernando Valley. So air conditioning is a must. Gina and I lived without air conditioning. When I was a kid, we didn't have it plain, didn't have it at all. So 100 degrees during the summer all the time, had no air conditioning. When Gina and I lived together, we didn't have it for the first eight years, and we lived upstairs. So it was like 100-something degrees in the house every day. We still loved each other. We still had a great time. We still had amazing you know, fun, but it was very hot, and it makes life a lot less comfortable. Now, as you know, we live in a tiny home, and so we have a single-unit air conditioner that's solar-powered, run by the sun, if you don't know what solar power is. And so we're much more physically comfortable But other than that, clean drinking water, air conditioning, if it's 100 degrees outside, I see their lives and I go, I see that desperation. I mean, I'd even like to help them, but these are people who would never look at me, right? I don't have their money. I don't qualify to play in their field. And I've been told straight up this thing. I hesitate to even go into this because it's a whole nother topic, but I remember when I was 27, Uh, remember, I will never forget this, unfortunately. This buddy of mine, I got him a job at my company, the company I was working for. I was a manager, uh, regional manager at the time, somewhere in that title form. And uh, I was able to straight up hire him, just take him. He wanted a job. He wanted a job in sales, didn't have a lot of background. He was going to a fancy school out here. And I said, hey, you know what, man, you're my friend. Why don't I get you a job? We were already close. We worked with each other in an entry-level business a while back. I was hanging out with him at his house once. His father just uber wealthy, another one of these people. It's not the two from the example, but it's another guy who has a million of dollars. And uh, one day his uh, girlfriend came over to me and she said, you know how your friend, the guy I'm talking about, hasn't been hanging out with you as much? And I'm like, yeah, I've noticed that. And I was older than him. I'm like five or six years older than him. And she says, it's because his dad took him aside and said, don't hang out with Jet Dunlap because this is as far as he'll ever go and he's not going to bring you anywhere. He's a loser. His, his fate will not leave where he is. I mean, basically, this was the reverse side of my dad's conversation. So my dad always said when I was a kid, these people are better than us, blah, blah, blah. And this guy is literally telling his son, don't even associate with Jet Dunlap. We were really good friends. We had a great time together. And uh, his dad's like, don't hang out with him because he's, he's lower than us made me feel horrible too, because I was doing really well for myself and making great money for a guy my age. And the guy always smiled in my face, but here he was literally telling his son, don't hang out with this guy. This loserness is contagious. Used to really affect me thinking, wow, that's like the most messed up thing you could do to someone, right? Just tell them they're a loser. And I don't know if he's happier, but that was kind of the attitude. So I, I, you know, I had this kind of resentment towards those kind of people. And there's still, the truth is, if we're seeking happiness, you have to find it internally, right? Because the difference between someone who has $500 million and someone who's like myself, most of America, is huge. And we can't, like I did in my 20s, strive towards an eventual happiness that is bought, like these folks have. And they're not happy. Like I was saying earlier, they're just, they have more money. And so they have more toys and they have better pictures. And that's the thing with social media too, right? You know, it's like, oh, these guys have all this money. Look how happy they are. That, I, that 80s ideal is kind of existing again today. So it's like, if you have more money, you're happier. But my happiest times have not been on a speedboat. My happiest times have been when I'm hiking in the woods or when I go camping. That's what I love. If I had $500 million, I'd still do that. I'd still eat at the same restaurants. I'd still hang out with the same people. 
The concept, I guess, is just that it's not bought. Happiness is not bought. Because the first thing a psychiatrist or a therapist will say to you when you get in their office is that we can't change anything in the external world. We can't change your friends, family, and neighbors. We can change how you react to those things. I'm going to say that again. We can only change how you react to those things. The distance between stimulus and response. You see a thing, you feel a thing, you hear a thing, and then that magical moment of time between your reaction to that event whatever it is, someone says something. In the example, like what that dad said about me. This guy's a loser. Don't hang out with him. He's not going anywhere. And then sometimes in my darkest times, I go, yeah, am I that guy? I try and live a better life. And I've been forced due to my circumstances in life to explore spirituality, religion, and respect other humans, whether it's racially, you know, sexually in the sense of regardless of sex or gender preference. I've been forced to be in that because I don't live in this place in the clouds. And again, I'm not trying to say that one is better than the other. I'm saying that one isn't better than the other in the sense that money doesn't buy you happiness. The pursuit of money is not a bad thing in and of itself. The pursuit of money outside of the pursuit of money at the expense of people can be very negative. But isn't that the case with everything? It's just another addiction. My start of this just came off the fact that I keep seeing these people, especially during the summer, living these perceived perfect lives, and I know them. I know them. I know them well enough to know that's not the case. But it's easy to fall in this trap when you're on Facebook and Instagram. I'm not going to name the social media sites, for God's sake. But to start comparing yourself and thinking, oh, wow, I don't get to do that. I've never been to Atlantis, not the lost city at the bottom of the sea. Very few people have been there. I think that's where Aquaman is. But um, the resort, I've never been there, so I'm less than. That's not the case. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. That's the table again. If you're happy, that's good. If you're pursuing happiness, it needs to be achieved at whatever level you're at right now. You know, if you're rich, pursue it there. If you're poor, pursue it there. Look for the things that actually make you happy. In my case, the happiest I can be is through service. Isn't that weird? It's not weird if you don't know me, but that's counterintuitive to me because I was 100% convinced that happiness was the external gathering of material wealth. So in service to myself. But the best I feel is when I talk to you guys. And even in the last podcast, we talked about how my my wife at the beginning in the intro, she talked about how the first version of the podcast I did before was so self-serving and so egotistical because I was just caffeined up. My Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it's, uh, it's a little off. You know, I'm, I'm on the, uh, which one was the bad one? The bad one of that, Hyde or Jekyll, whatever, Jekyll, Jackal. And you're not getting the best version of me. But when I'm doing this to try and be in service of my fellow humans, that's when I feel the most reward. God, isn't that weird? The only reason I say it's weird is because in my personal experience, whenever anyone's like, oh, through giving, you truly receive. I mean, that was even the doctrine of my religion growing up as Catholic. And I'm like, blah, 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 you crazy old priests and nuns. What do you know, crazy people? Boy, crazy twice, huh, Jet? Good vocabulary. You nutbags. <laughs> I just thought that's, that doesn't make any sense. How in giving do you receive? That seems counterintuitive. It's kind of like that secret thing. But it's true, man. It's true. I feel best when I help you folks. I feel best when I help people in actuality. You know, I'm trying to help out a friend right now financially by doing something for him. And, and that is going to bring me more reward than the maximization of my 
immediate financials, right? So getting myself the most amount of money, which is normally my drive. I mean, not of late, but we're talking about Jet Dunlap over a span of 40 years. I think the percentage still weighs on the side of selfishness. And even that, I kind of have to let go of. I kind of have to give myself a kind of a kind pat on the back and go, it's okay, Jet. That's okay that you were selfish. Look at where you were raised. Look at the business that you grew up in, that film and television. Even if you're not in it in Los Angeles, that is what the, the creature that is LA that eats and breathes human souls is about who you are, who you know, name brand colleges, name brand families, name brand everything. It's just disgusting. And that's a bit judgy on my side, but it's true. I mean, they make you feel less than just because you're not a part of that. And you're not. So let me tell you that you're not. If you're a struggling actor, or if you're a billionaire, like I know, both those people have about the same look in their eyes. If they're not in touch with the moment, if they're not in touch with what we're really put on this earth for, which is to maximize the utility of this human experience based on your spiritual feedback and what you think you're destined to be through clear thinking, clear, sober thinking, and connecting with something outside of ourselves, a greater self. And I've always said the God of your choosing, a power greater than ourselves, figuring out what it is that can only be experienced in human form. That's the purpose. And that's what'll bring you true joy. And there's a lot to unwrap there. So I'll go into that more in depth in another podcast, that's what the purpose is. And you're not going to find it flying in a private jet to Dubai. I knew this guy who drank a $5,000 bottle of scotch with ice that was imported in like this crazy container that uh, was this glacial ice that was like another $2,000 to get there. So he's drinking like 10 grand worth of stuff with this amazing ice. That person's not any happier or it doesn't have any more joy than a person who has nothing. Joy can be found from either extreme and everywhere in between, you know? It's in those moments, and it's in that connecting with the moment and connecting with our fellow human beings. That's where the joy is going to be found. And all of this just came out of the fact that in my, in my experience and in my feeling, summertime watching the rich is one of those things where you really get comparative. And maybe it's someone who looks better than you. Maybe it's someone who, you know, again, it's all greater than and less than, right? But you're not either. No one is. We're all the same. And I've been to a lot of funerals lately. And you've heard that in my podcast. I've been to a lot of funerals. In the last three months, I've been to three funerals. And let me tell you something. All three of those people came from vastly different financial backgrounds and vastly different lives. And they're in the same place. And I think there's something larger than this outside of our human experience. But that's up to you they're all in the same place. And if you looked at any of their Facebooks, hypothetically, and you saw their different experiences, it would have mattered in that moment, but it doesn't anymore. So what are you doing to make yourself happy? What are you doing to make other people in your life feel better? What are you doing to connect with your higher self to figure out what your purpose is? I think that's where you're going to find happiness. And I'll try and dive into that as much as I can to help you as much as I can, because I certainly have made a life of trying to understand that. I mean, really. I mean, meditating in the mountains. I mean, reading every book on the subject. My first therapist of 15 years, just since the power of now with Eckhart Tolle, and even before that, reading from the Dalai Lama, and even before that, trying to find spirituality through religion, this has been my life quest. And I feel a lot more enlightened than I did when I started. But that's where joy is going to come from. And I hope some of this helps you with that. And of course, in the future podcast, we'll go more into that. So thank you so much for listening. And I can't wait to uh, be able to talk to you guys next time.
Thanks a lot.